welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, and thank you guys for tuning in. Steve and I just got back from Kodiak uh, Island in Alaska. It was the first time for both Steve and myself to hunt Kodiak, uh, and we were with our buddy Mike. So the three of us were up there to hunt Sitka blacktail deer, did quite a bit of fishing as well. And in this episode, we talk about that trip. So it's a fresh experience that we just had, and in this episode, um, just kind of part one, We talk about logistics and just kind of talk about the trip from a high level, um, just so if you're interested in a trip like this, you have some good information on your options and costs and things like that. We also do begin to dive into the hunt itself, talk about some of the things we learned, some of the things we did right, uh, some of the things we didn't do right. So there's going to be more to come on this as we talk deeper about gear and other topics um, from this hunt in future episodes. But hope that you enjoy this part one. And as you'll hear, we mention um, if you have questions about this trip, um, we can obviously speak from limited experience having done it just one time. But we also do have some great resources of guys who have hunted Kodiak extensively. And so we can get you um, some good answers. So if you have questions, email us podcast at exomountaingear.com. Otherwise, here's part one. Steve, um, back from Kodiak. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. It was an exciting trip for sure. Um, before we get into kind of stories and all that, you know, I know that a lot of guys are going to have questions on logistics, which is kind of the the boring part of talking about a cool adventure like this that we just had. Um, but it's an important part just to help people plan. Um, I, I guess just for some like background context. When did this trip kind of like get on your radar? Uh, just the spring, really. I ran into a guy who, um, uh, kind of a friend of ours, who had mentioned he'd done the trip before and said how much of a blast it was. Basically, that um, you know, if you had to pick one trip to do every single year out of all the hunting he's done, that this is the trip. So, when someone that you know and respect tells you that, that uh, you know, has to perk up your ears a little bit. And then, yeah, we started looking into it, and then it was kind of a, yeah, let's do it, and then everyone got all busy summer and crazy falls, and then it was really like last two, three weeks, uh, the spot was still open, and, and we decided to make it happen. So it was kind of a, so we'd been planning and talking about it, but then nobody was actually committed to it until really about, yeah, two and a half weeks prior. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild from 
from my like experience of it as yeah we talked about it i think last february is when you and i first started talking about it and then it was kind of a go and then it was kind of a no-go and then all of a sudden here like a couple weeks out i was like it's a go we're doing this yeah <laughs> it was pretty exciting for sure yeah um so yeah just like i said to hit some of the boring logistics highlights for guys who are are new to this hunt um or what opportunity exists there um it's over the counter essentially like anyone can go do it um you can get up to three deer tags um and then there's you know a few bonuses i would say that go with that just like our caribou hunt you know like we added wolf tags um you know this was sitka blacktail deer three tags and then you know with your hunting license there's opportunity for fox and things like that um which there are some very cool foxes on kodiak which we unfortunately didn't see but yeah, so it's it's literally anyone can do this. You can do it any year, every year. Obviously, with three tags, there's plenty of opportunity there. Um, one big factor as you begin to look at hunting uh, sick blacktail and Kodiak would be the time of year that you go. Um, obviously, we did early November, but you know this season basically kicks off in August and. I believe late August and goes all the way through. So if you want to do, you know, an earlier season thing, you can certainly do that. You can even do late season. I mean, it extends into late November and into December. So there's a huge window on hunting Sitka blacktail on Kodiak. And I think you can have very different hunts based on the time of year that you go. Obviously we are not the experts there. We had our experience in early November. Um, but from what you know, Steve, from guys that you've talked to, um, what are kind of some of the pros and cons on when to go and, you know, at a, at a high level, some of the things to consider with what time of year that you go for this hunt? Yeah, I believe it's August 1st to December 30th is the season. So it's a monster season. Uh, it's three tags as far as I know, all the way through that. Um, I did think there's something that you saw in there about does at some point, right? It becomes either sex hunt after a certain date. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I want to say it's in October. I'm not sure if it's October 1st, but there's a transition there where like when we were hunting, we essentially our tags, we could have killed either sex. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then it's any weapon that entire time. So bow or rifle, you could take your poison. We decided just to go all rifles. Um, and basically, you know, I think you and I were both on a meat hauling trip. So uh, I wanted to bring home first year without elk uh in a long long time so i wanted to make sure i got some some wild game in the freezer and that that part was accomplished um pros and cons yeah i mean i think early we it is uh otherworldly brush up there uh brushy <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm sure we'll have plenty of stories about that but i you know as we were hunting all the stuff was dead and a lot of it was laying down the the leaves were all off the brush the, the alders and stuff but it was still a nightmare, and we were talking about, I can't imagine trying to do this, specifically where we were at. It was basically right at a mile of brush from the beach until you kind of got to the, the side of the mountain until you started climbing. I think other areas could be shorter. We did hunt one spot that was substantially easier. So, um, But a, a beach hunt, coming from the beach in August, if you got two guys and six tags to fill and assuming every deer is one trip out um man that could get could get pretty sporting uh it'd be, a, <laughs> it'd be a lot of work uh logistics of keeping meat cool that'd be really hard to do so sounds like if you go in august the um the best thing to do is get flown into a lake 
and the lake is hopefully, you know, for the most part above all the brushy stuff. Um, and that could be, uh, we talked to a guy on the plane flight from Anchorage to Seattle that sat next to us and that's what he does. He goes in early August every year and gets dropped off at a lake and really doesn't have to deal with the brush at all. I guess uh, another pro of early is most likely the bears are down at the river. Um, so you're not dealing with bears as much in, in early August, not to say that they can't be there. There was a, uh, a guy named Rafe at, at the lodge that we were staying at. <clears throat> He's a guide, a, a mountain goat guide and in the, in August, September, it sounds like, and, and they definitely have bear encounters up high, you know, early. So they're there just probably more likely down on the rivers. Um, and then late season we went right now cause it's peak of the rut. So theoretically, um, you know, it's a great timing for us. All of our hunts are pretty much wrapping up here. So there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, the bucks are rutting. They're su- supposed to have come down lower and, and you actually hunt them in some of the brush spots. So if, um, if you wanted to do a bow hunt, man, we were, I mean, we were like the, on day one, we're like, holy crap, we should, should have brought bows. This is going to be amazing. Cause it's, it's brushy. You can have shots at like 10 yards, uh, like nonstop. Um, it'd be pretty stinking fun hunt. And then as far as the shoulder seasons, like October and then December, sounds like, uh, October's kind of, you know, the, some of the bucks are still up high, but it can still be kind of hard hunting cause leaves are on all the brush and, and trees and stuff. And then December, it sounds like, you know, if they get some nasty weather, the bucks could be piled all like all the deer could be piled down tight on the beaches. Uh, if it's really bad and, and it's kind of just like, uh, sounds like it's pretty stinking easy hunting then just, just picking them off. Um, but I guess some of the bucks start dropping antlers in, in December as well. So, uh, that's what we were told anyways. So you might have to deal with that if you go too late in December. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Obviously, as we said, our experience is clearly limited here, but we did get to talk with quite a few folks about the pros and cons of different time of the year. Um, and that leads us, you know, hand in hand, I think, with the time of year that you go is the type of hunts, like logistically, what are you doing? Um, so what we did was we stayed at a lodge, which when I say the word lodge, it immediately sounds like super fancy and it was a nice place for sure. Um, but it wasn't like, a all inclusive resort. cabin. Yeah, yeah. It was like a rustic <laughs> cabin. Um, yeah, but we were treated very well. Um, but so we stayed at this cabin and then daily by boat, we were taken, um, and then dropped at the beach. And then, as you said, Steve, um, hiking from the beach can be a beach, um, <laughs> getting through the brush. Um, so you can do a lodge or a cabin based hunt. You can do a boat based hunt where you're truly staying on a boat for a whole week. Um, or you can do a drop hunt essentially most of the time, as you mentioned, that's flying with a float plane getting dropped at uh, a lake. So the time of the year, and those methods go hand in hand. Your best bet early, as you mentioned, Steve, is to get dropped at a lake. Um, you get above the brush country. You're starting at higher country where the deer are. The later you go, the deer are lower. It's easier to start lower in some um, contexts. And it's just, especially later in the year from a weather perspective, it's a much more... Uh, comfortable hunt i would say to be able to like go dry out each night which we did um and then you know a huge variable there is cost 
if you're doing a drop hunt, you can actually do it pretty stinking cheap. Um, you know, obviously we had a higher cost because we're staying in someone's place. They were actually feeding us. And so, um, you know, there's more cost to that. So those are kind of the three main ways to attack that. Um, you know, being land-based, being boat-based, and then being basically dropped into the backcountry. And then each of those have multiple pros and cons, different times a year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we'd be happy to answer more questions about um, some of those things if you guys have those. But to go into cost a little bit, um, and, you know, we can kind of relate this to the caribou hunt we did in September, which, you know, we covered costs in that. But clearly before you talk about anything, you have transportation uh, to and from Alaska commercially. Um, for us, that looked like flying to Seattle from your home location, Seattle to Anchorage, and then Anchorage to Kodiak Island. That's all commercial, um, easy to book with Alaska Airlines. Just like we mentioned with the Caribou Hunt, there's perks to doing the Alaska Airlines credit card, that whole deal. So we covered that there. What we had to then do um, when we landed in Kodiak on island main town was then also have a charter to basically get to the other side of the island. Um, we were hunting out of Larson Bay, other side of the island, really small um, community, I would say. I think they said currently year-round residence is 27, I think, um, and then seasonal is a bit higher than that. So you have your commercial flight. For us, we had our charter flight. If you're doing a drop camp, that's where it could end. Um, you fly commercially to Kodiak, you get an air service to drop you at a lake, you're done. Um, so those are costs there. I would say between those two, Steve, you're looking at, obviously it depends on group size and what type of plane you charter and all that, but what do you think? You know, right in, right under $1,000 probably per person for commercial flight and charter flight or right around $1,000 for that overall? Yeah, if you had a group of three or four guys, probably. Yeah, maybe yeah. right there. It's a you're looking at, yeah, you're probably going to spend five to 600 on your Alaska Airlines flight. Um, I think what we booked ours, I said, just a couple weeks prior, and it was only, it was like 487 or something like that. It was really cheap. Um, and then, uh, yeah, your, your flight into the field, you're probably about, just say, a thousand bucks. Uh, it's probably a little high. Uh, but a thousand bucks to get, you know, if you got three guys in gear to get yourself out to the field, um, and then, uh, and then a thousand bucks to get picked up. So two grand divided by the three of you, uh, 600 and something dollars, 650, 70 bucks, whatever that'd be. So, yeah. um, yeah, you're, you're going to be right around a thousand bucks, um, depending on how it lays out. Right. So roughly a thousand dollars for that. Um, another cost obviously being, tags um and hunting license you know again with with these sitka blacktail you have up to three tags they were right around 300 bucks a piece and then you have your hunting license so again talking around numbers if you were to do three deer you're going to be right around a thousand um a little over with your license if you do two deer you're going to come in under um a thousand there so if you just take in transportation tags and license you're awfully close again just talking around numbers to two grand from there is where things differ so if you if you're doing a drop camp 
you're you're pretty close to set at that point. Obviously, it's all on you to have gear and food and and those logistics. Um, if you're doing a lodge base or boat boat based hunt, that's where you're gonna have a higher cost. Um, so if you're doing a lodge or boat based, again, we talked about with the caribou hunt how in general just a good ballpark number to budget for a hunt like that caribou hunt that we did, which was um, a drop hunt. It was around five grand. Um, just talking round numbers. This hunt would be very similar to that um, in terms of numbers if you're doing a lodger boat base hunt. If you're doing a drop hunt, you can actually do it much cheaper. So all that said to say, if especially like early, if you guys are just looking to do like a DIY adventure, um, kind of hunt the quote unquote high country of Kodiak, kind of do it on your own and get dropped, I think you could do it for under you know, I that 25 to 3000 number somewhere in there. If you're going to do more of a service-based hunt with a boat or a lodge, you're talking more of that five grand number, which is pretty comparable to that caribou hunt. Mm -hmm. I would say, Steve, the thinking of rough numbers of five grand on this hunt versus five grand on the caribou hunt, they're vastly different experiences, but I would also say I feel like you get way more for your money in terms of like where you can you can see where the cost goes on this Kodiak hunt that we did versus the caribou hunt. That's not to say one's better than the other. They're very different. Um, but it, like if I just said spending five grand on each of those, I would feel like I got more for my money on this Kodiak hunt. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no question. Uh, <laughs> what you get with caribou is you get a hunt of species that you know, 99.9% of us don't get a hunt at home. Um, and granted blacktail are, you know, um, exclusive to certain areas, but hunting mule deer or whitetail, it's still a, it's still a familiar experience, right? Um, you're hunting new country and, and, you know, looking for bears and things are a little different, but in general, you're hunting the same species. So caribou, you just get to pay for that, uh, you know, supply and demand there. It's, it's exotic and, you know, it's uh, not everybody can go do that hunt to take some more logistics. So, um, but, as far as what we did, I mean, you get to go shoot deer, you get to be on a beautiful island, you get to go fishing. Um, it's part of the part of the thing for me was that uh, out of the lodge, if you wanted to take a rest day, you could go fishing, and we ended up enjoying that so much. We went out on the boat three times, uh, and we all brought home like close to seventy pounds worth of fresh fish, which was just awesome. So we actually uh, cooked uh, some uh, yellow eye up last night. Man, that was freaking really really good yeah yeah it's you know so we were staying at someone's place so you obviously you have that cost they were feeding us breakfast lunch and dinner warm breakfast in the morning packing us food for the day we were hunting or the day we were fishing um, making us amazing dinners every single night so there's a lot more you feel like you're getting a lot more for your money simply because you're staying somewhere you're being fed incredibly well Um, they're spending time with you I mean, it was very direct personal service versus the caribou hunt for the same cost. That experience is a drop hunt. And yes, you're up in, for us, you know, northern Alaska, big country, just a much different place. But in the end, like you're out there camping um, versus on this hunt, you're kind of feel kind of pampered. And you're like, yeah, this this should cost thousands of dollars. You know, it's, a, it's yeah. just a very different experience for sure. Um. 
Let's see. So, yeah, you mentioned fishing, Steve, just to talk about that a little bit. And again, we'll, we'll have more information to come on, you know, where we stayed and all that stuff. This isn't to answer all those questions today. And there's there's a ton of different opportunities on Kodiak to do this type of trip where you're hunting and fishing. So this wasn't unique um, by any means, but it is a part of it. You made a really interesting point, Steve, about dealing or about using a service that is used to dealing with people who fish and maybe fish exclusively and are not strictly hunters. Um, and obviously we're, we're going to talk in broad terms here, but go ahead and elaborate on that kind of observation oh. <laughs> that you had. Cause I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. We were, you know, the f- previous trips we've used basically hunting outfitters. Um, and then we specifically talked with the, with the guy running this lodge and you know, like, who's more, picky to deal with fishermen or hunters and he's like oh man no question fishermen you know they just come from you know more general walks of life um there's you know in general i would say you know you're going to get more quote-unquote city people there they're going to have a little bit higher demands um and uh yeah so i think my theory was that if, if you're looking at booking some of these hunts any place that deals with fishermen during the summer uh, is just going to have better accommodations, used to better, providing better service. Um, I said I, I've had very mixed uh, trips to Alaska with as far as customer service goes from the, the air service that you're using. First trip was like you were essentially cattle. They could give two Fs about you. Um, they just got you in and out of the field. And, and um, you know, and then the, the caribou trips, uh, the, you know, they're much better, but still nowhere close to the services we just experienced, uh, here on this Kodiak trip. So they're, uh, getting you, they're just, yeah, everything's taken care of top to bottom. And, um, you know, we wanted to jump in and process fish and do this and do that, but it wasn't expected. They were like, they'd cut it up and freeze it and package it all for you. And, uh, on the fish side, the meat side's different. Cause you gotta the, be in a, uh, just an air service or a transportation service. Yeah. They're, um, they're not allowed to touch your meat or have anything to do with the hunting side of it. But um, still, it was um, it's just a, I think a good thing to do if you're looking at it is find a place that works with fishermen and they're just in general going to have better services. Uh, just just a working theory at the moment. We'll, we'll have to do another trip to prove it. <laughs> yeah, total working theory. But I having experienced both from my perspective, limited perspective, it does make sense. Um, you mentioned service and this is like 100 percent not an advertisement, nothing. Um, I just wanted to say we did, because again, you could, if you go to Kodiak and go to fly, you have a few different options for those charters. We happen to use Island Air um, and we didn't like book through the podcast. There's no deal. There's no affiliation. They have no idea who we are, but I just wanted to throw it out there. They were amazing. Yeah. Um, they were legit good. And I'm just throwing that out there from a genuine, like I was so happy with them. I wanted to give them a shout out. And again, they have no idea who we are, but Everything from the beginning of the trip to, uh, let's call it some chaos, getting picked up out of the field and potential delays and meets. I mean, we could go into a long story, um, but they truly were phenomenal to work with, super easy to work with, communicated great. Everything was on time. Um, they went above and beyond to take care of us again, not knowing who we are or that we were going to talk about them or anything. I was just so generally happy with them that I just wanted to throw it out there that they're amazing. No matter what type of hunt um, you're doing on Kodiak, if you're looking to charter a plane, our experience with Island Air was 
absolutely phenomenal. Just throwing that out there. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about the hunt a little bit. So that's kind of logistics. We talked about tags. Time of year is a big factor. How you go in terms of drop versus boat versus lodge, bow or rifle, um, cost. You know, that's just a good overview on logistics. If you guys have you know more specific questions, we'd be happy to answer those on a future Monday minute or something like that. So just shoot us an email to podcast at xmountgear.com. But the hunt itself, Steve, um, you know, we had heard that it was an amazing hunt, an enjoyable hunt, but it was the same time a very physical hunt. Uh, how, just put that into perspective for people in terms of what it was like, what the terrain was like, the country was like, we already mentioned brushy a little bit, but just go deeper into kind of the experience of hunting that country. Yeah. I mean, for us, it depends on the hunt you're doing, but for us starting at the beach, uh, you basically have one mile of brush. Uh, (laughs) and then once you bust through the brush, it's pretty easy. The mountains, you know, they do climb the, the peaks around us were around 2000, 2200 feet. So you, you know, we were doing very rarely did we actually get to the peaks. Uh, most of the deer were about four or 500 feet off of that, but we were climbing from zero up to 1700 feet every day. Uh, it never felt because it's brushy and you're moving so slow, especially, you know, down low that it never felt like you just pounded out a, a 1800 foot climb. You know, it was, and you were just kind of hunting the whole way. So you get up there fairly easily uh, as far as the elevation is concerned. It's just getting through that brush. Um, and, yeah, it was literally, point I think, 0.93 miles from the, the beach to where the brush started to, like, consistently clear up. And, I mean, basically, when I'm planning a hunt, I look at a mile. And based on the elevation, it's 20 to the max 30 minutes to, to do that mile here in Idaho. There, that 0.93 was anywhere from two to two and a half hours to get 0.93 miles, uh, which is just, it just doesn't even seem right. Yeah, (laughs) it's ridiculous. It just takes that long. And you're, I never did run like tracks, but part of it is you're dodging brush and the other part is you're just, uh, just left and right. You know, you walk 20 yards, find a little seam through the brush, walk back 50 yards to the right. You're just zigzagging your way up that whole hill. So um it's just it just takes time and it's frustrating and uh unfortunately for us the deer were still above that we ran into some does and some small bucks down in the brush but never saw any mature deer um so i think if you were you know if they were like full rut all pushed down on the brush that'd be a different hunt but for us they weren't so it was we basically had two to two and a half hours every morning that was just get off the boat and start plowing through that stuff to, to get to the other side. And then, um, the other thing was again, that, that one mile is so brushy and it's kind of rolly terrain that, um, that our, you know, the Rafe, uh, our guide, um, my guide, but the, the guy at the lodge who is a guide in the summer, he was, you know, they really suggested just not being stuck out there in the dark that, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a nightmare. I, I we never did do it. I can't imagine doing it. Um, obviously you'd be fine, but that two to two and a half would probably turn into, to three and a half hours getting out in the brush. Just, you know, you're just going to be, not be able to see, you're only using your headlamp, you know, you only see 20 feet in front of you. It would take a long time to fight through that stuff. So unless you, unless you'd hike the country a bunch and knew, knew the little paths, but every day we were kind of in a slightly different area. So you're constantly learning and, um, it'd be tough. So essentially you had short days and four hours of hiking every day, which, which made it challenging. At best we had 
four to five hours of actual hunting. Um, and, and so it's pretty short window to, to get up there and get it done. Yeah. I mean, it, it, on one hand, there was days where that felt like plenty of time. I mean, there was days where, um, you know, thinking of the, that last day we hunted, we, uh, it was Steve, Mike and I, there's three of us. We each killed a buck and had all those deer on the ground by noon or something. And that was the day we hunted in a bit easier location. On one hand, it's a, it is a short day when you think of, for many reasons, they don't want you starting in the dark, A, because they have to have the boat, they have to be able to see a little bit. So you're basically starting at first light, um, and then you have a two to two and a half hour hike to get into country. Some of those days we got up into the higher country and we were completely socked in with weather and fog and had no visibility or very intermittent visibility. Um, so it, it does feel like a relatively short day. You're not doing a ton of miles, but it still feel does it does feel like high effort for sure. I mean, it definitely is a physical hunt. I would wholeheartedly recommend um, being in good shape for it. Um, you know, and like everything else, even just mentally, like embracing the suck of, yeah, I'm gonna beat brush for the next two hours. And by beat brush, I mean crawling through alders, getting smacked in the face with limbs, thorns, <laughs> like it's, it's not always enjoyable for sure. Um, but the work through that stuff, uh, is worth it. You know, when you get to the other side and you get into that huntable country. And again, if you want to go later, you might not have to go through all that because sometimes the deer are down in the brush. So that's, you know, again, maybe another factor to consider there, but we actually had a, you know, uh, on social media question, somebody said, would this be a feasible hunt for a father and two teenage sons? We hunt hard in North Idaho. So we're pretty used to poor and fast changing weather conditions as well as rough terrain. I'd say wholeheartedly. Yes. I think this would be a phenomenal hunt for a father and two teenage sons. Um, I think it'd be incredibly memorable and enjoyable and difficult all at the same time, you know, and then they mentioned they're from North Idaho, so they're obviously used to some thick, brushy country for sure. Um, and then he mentioned fast changing weather conditions. I mean, that's something to just keep in mind with Kodiak and obviously depend on time of year, but you can definitely have weather there. Um, it was pretty moderate temperature wise while we were there, especially for that time of year. It's very, uh, mild. Um, it was, you know, it, the swings from like the lows to the high were probably 10 degrees. It was basically, for the most part, low 40s to um, low 50s in terms of highs and lows. Can definitely be incredibly wet. We had a ton of rain. And then even if it's not raining, um, you know, after all those rains, all that brush is obviously holding water. So we spent a lot, a lot of time in rain gear. Um, and we'll talk about gear here a bit later, but just in general, be prepared for weather, be prepared to be wet, kind of miserable, beaten brush. Like it's not, it's not an easy hunt. Um, at the same time, I think it is a very accessible hunt as long as you're prepared for that. Um, do you think that's a, a good way to put it, Steve? Yeah, I think that's a very fair assumption. Is that a father with two young kids? Um, I'd either go in November and hope they're down low in the brush uh, or I would do the, I'd go in August and, and, and get flown into a lake and hunt the upper part. So I wouldn't do the hunt that we did. Um, you know, that was fairly physical and part of the, the challenge, like to me, it'd be a fun hunt, a fun and difficult hunt. If it was just, you had one tag in your pocket, you bust through the brush, you hunt up there all day, you kill something, you pack it out, you're done. But the repetitiveness of it, of, 
I mean, we, we basically seven every bucks. day. Yeah, we killed seven bucks between three guys every day. We're packing meat. Sometimes, you know, it's an entire deer by yourself. Sometimes, like your deer, we split. Uh, my my first deer, we split. Um, so you're just not only are you busting that brush, but every day you're packing out. So I think the the fitness aspect comes and just the endurance side of that of the next day to be to wake up and just be ready to roll again. You know, you just kind of uh, there's definitely like two days there. I woke up and I just like. You know, kind of like, okay, here we go. I can't psych <laughs> yourself up. Let's go bust some, bust some brush for two hours. Yeah. Because, uh, you are you know, you're just a little sore from the day before and a little tired. And, uh, you know, we had – obviously, we were having a great time hanging out at the lodge and had plenty of great food and whiskey and hanging out. So, um, you know, kind of got that little bit of a hangover in the morning going. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I – so – It'd be a lot different if it was just you had three tags to go fill between you and your two sons and you, you killed them and you packed them out um, versus if you loaded up with nine tags, nine deer to pack out is, uh, you know, that's that's some work involved there. Yeah. Yeah. Good points for sure. Um, talking about the deer specifically, I mean, one of the things I loved about this hunt is anytime I can hunt new country and the new species, I'm just giddy with excitement to kind of learn them, uh, and learn the place and, you know, just kind of have that new experience is everything, seeing everything with new eyes is fascinating to me. Talking a bit about hunting these deer in this country specifically, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is we we saw good deer numbers and i feel like we only saw a quarter or a third of the deer that were there they're just they can be super tough to spot and at the same time if you do spot them being able to spot them again is incredibly difficult meaning like we would go oh look there's a buck and then you take your binos down and I'd go to get Steve and go to point out where the buck was, and I'd bring my binos back up, and he was gone. Like, they're difficult to find, and they're almost impossible to find again. Um, and that's because the way that they're moving, and the cover that they have, and the brush that they have, it just makes it really, really tough. What, you know, in terms of, like, actually spotting, glassing, finding deer, Steve, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think for us, it was, you know, you need to know what you're hunting with, obviously, bow or rifle. Um, the first day we basically spent in bow country, um, where it's like, you got this rifle in your hand, but all the shots are going to be under 50 yards for sure, most likely literally five, 10 yards. Um, and then, and then we finally broke through the brush at that spot the second day, and it was really, brushy country uh to it was exactly as you just said that it's like hey there's a buck and then you look away and then it's gone um so and then we ended up about a mile from that finding some country that was broken up enough that you had a you know you're basically maximizing your chances with a rifle um to to actually have time to spot one get get a range on it get the rifle out but it, i mean all that has to happen quick it's you don't just get to sit there and glass it and watch it feed for half an hour you know like you, you would an early season buck up here in the high country or something there um they're moving and and it's just so thick that and, and it's deceiving because they're the brush you're looking at through your binos you think is knee high reality is it's like over your head so a buck may look like he's standing in an opening but he's really just in one little sliver that you can see through in the brush and he takes two steps forward and all of a sudden it's literally six foot tall grass and stuff so um 
yeah, I think it was just uh, a matter of finding the right country that kind of maximized our chances to get a shot off. Um, and just knowing, you know, knowing how you're hunting, except if they were down lower and we had bows in our hand, you would have just been moving, you know, literally just two steps, stand there for five, 10 minutes, two steps, stand there for five, 10 minutes. And, uh, that could be, a, I could see that being a really, really fun hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Basically still hunting them through that stuff with the bow would be great. I mean, we had, you know, on the way in and out as we're moving through that lower country each day, I mean, we had, again, it was does and small bucks down there when we were there, but I can't, I can't think of how many deer we had at 10 yards or less. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, yeah, just seeing them is tough. Staying on them's tough. Like the, the first buck I shot, you know, I spotted him at probably 120 yards and he was kind of moving. He was down in this little cut and I'm glassing him. And then all of a sudden he disappears in a brush and it's one of those things you don't even necessarily know where he's going to come out at. I mean, it's there's some game trails up there, but there's so many different ways that they can move and places they can get to and get out of. And so he disappears into that. I'm trying to grab my rifle. I'm waiting to find him again. He comes out again. I'm getting my rifle out, trying to find him in the scope. I see him for a little bit. He disappears again. You know, it's just one of those things where being able to track through glass is important. Being able to range is really important and being in good shooting positions, even before you think you need to can be really important because, um, you could be in a situation where say you're glassing for deer and you think something might be out. Um, I would just be fully set up as best as you can trying to anticipate shooting opportunities and being set for that whether that's you know prone whether that's off a pack whether that's off shooting sticks whatever that looks like for you um, just don't be lazy about having a rifle ready if you're in country looking for deer and think there might be an opportunity basically be as prepared as possible for that because that opportunity can come and go pretty stinking quick (laughs) yeah it's definitely something we we adapted to by day three i'd say is like you almost got to the point where you were looking for a place to shoot from before you even pulled up the glass because yeah. it, it was almost pointless to just stop where you were at and glass the hillside because half of it, you know, I said the brush is, you know, at your chest uh, and and it's just grass in front of you have, and you're not going to freehand shoot something at 200 yards, right? So it's it was like, let's look for a little flat spot or clearing in the brush and then, and then yeah, there's like the last day there where you killed your buck, we before we even started glassing, we found an area that we could lay down and get prone and actually shoot from before, like because the reality, is, yeah, and then find a deer, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it was a much different way of hunting, but it was just it's kind of a necessity there. That uh, one one other tidbit is I didn't pack them, but you and Mike both had shooting sticks, and I would say more than a bipod, more than anything else, like because it's so brushy because there's no trees to rest a gun on, uh, those things are almost a, like a hundred percent a necessity of, uh, just having something to get a rest on and, and shoot from. Cause laying it's, it's steep enough and bumpy enough. And, and there's always crap that laying prone, you know, I'd say 90% of your shots aren't going to happen that way. It's just not feasible. Uh, you don't have, like I said, there's no, where we are at, there's almost no trees, um, any brush, isn't thick enough to support a gun and hold it still. 
Um, so it's shooting sticks are kind of your one option shooting sticks and then a pack, you know, I had my pack to shoot off, but it doesn't, you know, way more often than not, it, you know, you drop down, you're only, you know, 25 inches off the ground and you need to be three, four feet off the ground to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll hit gear and shooting sticks are definitely an important part of that. Um, you did get a shot off a tree now that I think about it, which don't did, count yeah. on it because there's yeah. not many trees <laughs> around. Um, but yeah, you made a heck of a shot off a tree and I throwing that out there just to say like, whether it's in Kodiak or just in general, I, guys tend to overlook, I tend to overlook just finding natural rests for shooting from. Um, and you did a really good job of like, there's a buck. It's again, a limited opportunity. You basically have a, a counting clock, not knowing what that opportunity looks like. And you're able to find and shoot off of a branch, um, you know, really well. So kudos to you on that. That was impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, you know, I had no option. It was, it was basically saw the buck. He was looking at us and it just within half a second said, yep, that's a shooter. Uh, cause there's no time to really assess and look at them too much. You know, they're, uh, and then, Second, I decided he was a shooter. It was like, okay, what can I shoot off of? And just got lucky. There was a tree 10 yards in front of me. Would you say that these deer are spooky or would you say that they're <laughs> like, we had so many different experiences, I guess, basically talk about deer reactions to our presence and seeing us. Yeah, it was wild. They're on one hand, like crazy dumb and curious and if they're like if they see you sitting there we i mean we had a buck walk from 100 yards up to five yards and just sniff us like check us out line towards us to check us out yeah it was wild yeah. kind of like the um if you got a white flag out in the desert with antelope right you every once in a while you wave that thing and a buck gets curious and walks straight at you we basically these blacktail do the same thing on the other hand um the the day I shot my buck, I shot him because I was side hilling through some brush, and there were deer just filing out the other side at 400 yards. Um, the wind was good, so they it was either they heard the noise um, or something saw me, and then they just kind of all spooked together. Um, but they were definitely spooky. Uh, so it's, they it's um, I guess they see so few humans that they're just not quite sure how to react. Sometimes it's curiosity. Sometimes they see and, and treat you as a threat. So uh, it was very, you could never count on what reaction you were going to get from them. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, we were we were told, and I'm sure how true this is, but I think it lines up with what I experienced, that at times if you're closer um, and they understand that you're not a bear, they might be more curious to like, what I don't quite know what that is. I want to check it out. Like they're not on threat, but almost from a distance more than anything, whether that's noise um, or just, you know, this large blob of not sure what, then they're almost more spooky from a distance. So it's almost like the opposite of what you might expect of um, you can be quote unquote, like within range and they're more curious um, and calm, or you can be at a distance and they're actually more spooky and flighty, which is pretty weird, but we definitely had that experience for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it was also just in general, it was really weird covering as much country as we did, seeing as many deer as we did hunting and not really even thinking about wind, you know, um, again, like they're just not used to a heavy human presence that, I mean, there was times where I thought about wind, but it was few and far between, um, which was really odd because I'm 
you know, so used to hunting deer where wind can be everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, never, <laughs> never thought about wind. It, it just didn't matter. Other than uh, when you're walking, if the window's in your face, you're a little bit more on bear alert, but that was about it. One, uh, you know, one thing we did a bit was split up and there was times that we split up and actually went separate ways, but there was times we kind of covered the same direction, but just kind of split up by a few hundred yards. Um, There was times we got the different vantage glassing points to split up. I think that's incredibly helpful for these deer and for this country is being able to kind of push them around a little bit or not even push them, but you know, the, as we just mentioned, the presence of someone might pique curiosity. And so if your buddy's like side hill and 300 yards above you, you know, that noise, that presence might get deer near you to pop up and kind of check things out. So it, it ended up being, I think, a really helpful thing to throw out there, especially if you're in a group or have multiple groups, like say there's four of you guys to split up into pairs and actually cover country that way. Um, you know, and take advantage of, you know, making deer alert essentially, um, as I say, as I think something that's really helpful, um, and something we would for sure do again. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it was, um, you know, our trick was we had three guys and so any splitting up was putting a guy solo and, you know, it's our first time to the island. Do you hear all about the bears? And, um, you know, I, I know we had read a study about like hunting, uh, with bear attacks. If there's, you know, one, two or three guys, like by the time you get to the third guy, uh, it drastically reduces your chance of an attack. So it's, you know, you got your first couple of days, you're kind of on edge, like not sure if you're going to run into a bear around every corner. Uh, supposedly on Kodiak, I think it was like, there's one bear per 0.77 square miles. So, a lot of bears in that country. Um, and you just don't know what to expect. Um, so we were kind of hunting in groups and then, uh, and then hadn't seen a bear, weren't seeing a lot of sign. And then we started getting a little bit more comfortable hunting solo. Uh, probably got too comfortable, I think at some point, cause <laughs> yeah. the, I think at one point you're, you're eventually going to run into a bear. We never did while we were out hunting. Uh, and that's gonna, uh, you know, um, probably make you very aware of that they are there and they are they can be a threat and uh, you need to be you know need to be conscientious of about it for sure yeah i mean we were we were seeing sign in some places for sure um didn't have any experiences kind of at a you know we had this torn like really want to see a bear i don't want to see a bear you know um <laughs> so it was kind of bittersweet to not see a bear while hunting the only bear we saw was actually when we took off on our float plane to leave there was one right there on the beach um and even from the sky, it looked like a monster. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, again, going back to folks that we've talked to who've hunted there, even that time of year, it was probably abnormal um, that we didn't see a bear while hunting, whether that's, you know, from whatever distance, we just didn't see one period, um, you know, which is good. But yeah, I mean, being uh, quote unquote bear aware, obviously incredibly important. We didn't... Uh, we each had a sidearm with us, um, you know, I think depending on the time of the year, how you're hunting, how cautious you are, again, goes back to group size, like, I wouldn't be solo and be as casual as I was, um, you know, when we were hunting with pairs or, you know, even the three of us, but um I don't even, I feel like I can't even speak to it just because I haven't had those experiences, but it was interesting talking, um, with Rafe who, uh, 
has hunted all species up in Kodiak and hunts brown bear specifically about some of his stories and encounters and hunters. And, you know, it really comes down to a lot of common sense in terms of, you know, he was relaying stories of guys who had killed deer earlier in the day, kept hunting, and then came back to a deer that they didn't hang, they had left on the ground, that a bear had then dug, and they're trying to dig up this deer. Um, that's obviously pretty... You don't want to leave a deer behind, but if a bear has clearly already, quote-unquote, possessed it, um, or taken possession of it, just obviously you have to be super cautious with that. So, you know, it's just one of those things where common sense goes a long way, being prepared goes a long way, and if guys hear hunting Kodiak and they're just completely, you know, scared basically of being in bear country, I don't think you'd need to go to that level. Um, obviously our experience is, is limited, but again, talking with Rafe who has much more experience and has dealt with hunters year round for years and years and years, that goes a long way. Yeah. All right, man. We uh, we have a lot more to cover. Um, we'll get into gear. We'll get into more aspects of this hunt. But this is uh, kind of part one to cover things from a super high level. Um, if you guys do have questions, um, again, we're going to dive into gear and more things like that in the next episode. But any other questions you have, just shoot us an email to podcast at xmontgear.com. Um, and whether that's on this next episode or in a future Monday Minute, we'll be happy to... Uh, to answer our questions and we'll be talking more about opportunities that exist up there in the future. Um, this is a hundred percent a hunt I want to do again. Um, it was, it was great. It's, it's hard to compare it, you know, to like our caribou hunt because it's a vastly different experience, but having done both of these hunts in the same year and them being each my first trip to Alaska, um, I would say it depends on what type of experience you're after or if you have an affinity to certain species, but just in terms of overall enjoyment and value from my perspective on a hunt, this is definitely, definitely high up there. Um, so yeah, so tune back in. We'll do part two. We'll talk more. And then if you guys have questions, shoot us an email to podcast at exomontgear.com.